I counted a privilege to be here to be able to share the Word of God. There was a devotion that had started this message into spinning into action, and I'm going to share it with you in just a minute. It goes like this. I want to read it. Years ago, my job required me to move halfway across the country. For the first few months, I felt very content. I had a good job, a nice apartment near the beach, a close friend for a roommate, then a couple of friends from home came to visit, questioned how I could be happy there. They pointed out that I was many miles from home, did not have lots of friends, and was not dating much. Don't you feel isolated and miss home, they ask, and from that point on, I did feel isolated and lonely, and eventually I moved back home. I later realized that their comments had shifted my focus from what I had to what I was missing. I now understand that in many situations, our contentment depends on how we perceive and frame our situation for contentment. I'm going to move down here with you this morning because this message isn't for you, it's for us. Something that I wish that somebody would have talked to me about, preached to me about, even in my early years of ministry. The title is MIA. We're going to explain that to you at the very end of our message. I want to help you to grasp and understand some things of where I'm at with this. Every one of us in this building today, we have something. Every one of us at times have been challenged and many times feel like we're being pulled in a direction towards those things that we quote are missing. I'm going to be sharing through the Holy Spirit to help us to understand, and I want you to first understand that word have, it's content with what we have, but missed or missing keeps us from being content. So that I'm balanced on this, I want you to understand, we can miss things but they do not take away from our contentment. We can look at those things and miss them and desire them and reminisce over them and say, I'm missing that. I shared in the first service, I miss my mom. There are things that we miss that are wonderful to keep in our memory bank, and it's good if you have good memories, and we miss those things. Speaking of memories, we was uh, singing that song, This is my story, this is my song. Throughout all of it, my dad, if you ever have your dad tell stories and after a while you could tell them better than he could, you know, that's the way he was. He'd tell stories saying, I knew what the next word was. Well, one day he was in the house in the evening. I was sitting on the piano stool and in the house there in Hagerstown, Maryland. He comes walking by telling one of his stories. And I started singing, this is my story, this is, I got about that far. When he cut me with those big brown eyes and looked at me and gave me the look, you go any further, you're mine. That's all there is to it. And those are good memories. That's not what I'm talking about missing today. I'm talking about to consider three areas that missed it or missing. First is paradise, the wilderness, and the last one is prison. We're going to consider those three areas and Delve into them because I think it's very important. First, we want to look in Genesis chapter 3 as it comes up to us. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. He said unto the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but 
of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Everything except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When I read that devotion and then the Holy Spirit began to just take that and speak into my heart, it blew my mind. Because do you realize because of just one solitary thing that they missed and was missing, they gave up everything that they had. You and I have things today and there are times within our lives where the enemy will bring us to a place of missing the mark and showing us, oh, if you just had that, you'd be happy. If you just had that, you would be content. That's what you're missing. But little does he tell you within your life that when you come in that direction of taking hold of what you're missing, you're going to sacrifice everything you have. It got to a point that Adam and Eve said, we've got to have this. And they ate of that tree. They ignored that. And how could they ignore it? And I want you to hear me. Because every one of us has been equipped with something called the power of reason. You've been equipped with that. It can help you. It can sometimes ruin you. That power of reason, they begin to reason, oh, God wouldn't really do anything. He loves us. He cares for us, blah, blah, blah. You're hearing a lot. I'm going to say this. It's going to be a strong word. But you're going to, there's a lot of preachers that are standing in the pulpit preaching this kind of flimsy gospel, telling people that you can get by with it. God really doesn't mean what he says. Well, I'm here to tell you straight up and right now that in the midst of all of it, God means everything he says without a doubt. We need to understand that. And in that, we realize that through their power of reason, they began to reason. They came to a place and said, yeah, we can do that. That won't be a problem. Well, you know what? It hasn't just created a problem for them. It's created a problem for me and you and everybody else and his brother. I know of another guy. His name was King David. Got out there on his balcony when the word of God says when the kings and people went out to war, he stayed home. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. I sometimes feel sorry for Solomon and David and all the wives they had. And all of it, he's up on this balcony and he looks down over the hill and he sees this naked woman taking a bath. He began to reason. It doesn't matter he's got, I don't know how many he had, concubines and wives. And he looks and says, I'm missing that. That's what I'm missing. So go get her. His power of reason said, that's it, take it. Well, it ended up he had a baby to die. Her husband was killed. The kingdom was sent in a tailspin. Absalom went in revolt. The whole thing just went sideways because of it. All because he reasoned it himself. And his kingdom never really come back to the full strength and the potential that it once was. All because he had to have that woman. I'm not going to stand up here today and just preach to the laity. There's preachers that have messed up. 1980s, in the 80s, was a hard time for the church world. You had a man that would stand and point his finger in the face of a television screen, and Sam Walton would pull records off of his shelves at Walmart because Jimmy Swaggart said they were of the devil. He went down. Jim Baker, he went down. Be careful when you think you stand lest you fall. 
Oh, I have it. I'm in paradise, man. I've got it going on. Hey, hey I, not, nothing can, No, yes, it can. Marvin Gorman was a mighty man of God down in Louisiana. Toast. Done. Finished. Why am I standing where I'm standing? Because there is none of us that can escape or find ourselves that say that I'm above it. It can happen to any of us. And this is how it worms its way into your life and makes its ugly mark upon you when you begin to reason. You're not living in paradise, and I know none of us are, but you're living in a place of more than enough. I just want you to understand something very clearly. Get ready. On one day, you will see what is missing, and the power of reason begins to kick into high gear. And you'll see people. How could that woman do that? How could that man do that? And you'll hear children say, how could my dad, my mom go and do that bunch of junk? Because their power of reason says, I can. I'm living in more than enough. And that's why I'm able to get by with it. There's nothing that's going to touch me. No, you're not Teflon. It's going to stick. There's families today that are damaged more beyond, just beyond understanding Because of a man, of a woman that just said, I'm going to go out and I'm going to be happy. I'm going to do what I very well please. Thank you very much. And there's no way that you can fix it. Only God can. The damage is done and you stand back and you say, my God. So that's the area. If you find yourself in that area today of where you're living with more than enough, don't let the things that the enemy or things point out. One of the things I said to the crowd this morning was, God had to work through me. I, I was of the opinion if I seen somebody with a new car, well, they, they got a new car. Why can't I have a new car? Hmm. And I'd go out. I, of course, I was dumb and stupid at 21. And if somebody would have just told me, it would have made a difference. Oh, because you got a new car and they got a new car. Well, I guess I'm, I'm missing out. I'm going to get a new car. I've learned something, and it doesn't take a genius. I drive a little old Civic that's peeling. I told somebody it's about ready to lose its cocoon and turn into a BMW. And uh, so I'm out here running on Route 30 going into Exton. And I mean to tell you, they're blowing by the Lexus, the Acura, the Mercedes-Benz, the BMWs, man. And they are wide open going 80 miles an hour and I'm going about 60. But what I've discovered is as they roll by, even though it's a fancy dancy car, their wheels turn the same way mine does, and they get to point A to point B just like I do. What's that all about? So all I say when they come blowing by me going 80 miles an hour, I say to them, I say, boys, girls, play nice. (laughs) Because when you get down the road and crash it up against something, then it's going to hold me up. Play nice. That's amazing now, isn't it? We was living in Hopewell, Virginia, and there was a family, a lady, her name was Wendy, and she had a beautiful home that she was proud of, her and her husband on five acres of land, probably $250,000, home. I walked in the house for the first time, and they invited us over for dinner, and we walked in as pastor, and he began to say, look at that house. You're never going to get nothing like that. And the Lord just kind of pushed him aside, and he said, Rodney, rejoice with those that rejoice. And weep with those that weep. I rejoiced with her, but I wept with the family as we placed her in the ground and her funeral died of cancer. 
I've always learned you can be in a three-room house with a path. You know what I mean by path? That's a little outhouse that you run to, not for prayer. And you get there and you see that, and then you see this big 15-room with about, I don't know why we need three to ten toilets in a house, but they do. I just, oof. But anyway, and it's just out. But you, can, you know, the fact is, you can have a 15-room house, but you can only be in one room at one time. You can't be in all 5, 10, 15 rooms of your house, just one room at a time. The enemy will say, look at, no, but no, I'm not missing anything. I'm not missing anything. This is what I have, and I'm happy with what I have. And you're going to have to come to that place to not let reasoning push you over the edge and make you begin to say, yeah, but I've got to have it. No, you don't. I went through a time where I did some fasting, and I guarantee you one thing. When you go without food and you sit down and watch a television show, you never seen so many McDonald's and Burger King commercials in all your living days. Should be a crime, I tell you. Should be a crime. So that's the first area. I'm going to move on here quickly, but that is paradise. It's that area of more than enough that you live in. And we're blessed as Americans. We are. We have more than enough. But isn't I had a guy come up to me at the end of the service, and he says, isn't it an amazing thing? He said it was right on because he says we are living in a generation where we're buying crazy stuff. We're buying and buying and buying and buying. I looked at him and said, yeah, then it'll go out in a yard sale. That insatiable desire because something is missing. They're not content to have what they have and be happy with it. I'm preaching to me. Preaching to you. Let's go about the wilderness. We're going to talk about the wilderness for a little bit. Exodus chapter 16, verse number 3. Children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we would die of the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. And when they sat by the pots of meat and when they ate bread full, and for you've brought us out into the wilderness to kill us here. The whole assembly was hungry. Verse 12 says this. He goes on to say, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them saying, At twilight you shall eat meat. In the morning you shall be filled with bread. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. Many of us in this house today know very well about the place called the wilderness. It is called a place of lack. We go through it. You're not going to stay there, and that's what the children of Israel missed. You're just passing through. This isn't your final resting place. There's a promised land on through there. But it's the enemy's desire to bring you to a place. Look what you've missed. You're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out. Guess what? Hear me what I say to you. That that time and place of lack will end. They wanted bread and meat. I don't know what it is today that you want. What do you have a taste for in your wilderness? They wanted to go back to Egypt. When you really get yourself in a real back yourself up, don't blame nobody else here now. Come on. Don't blame nobody else. When you back yourself up in that corner and begin to tell your stuff this much trash to you, saying, oh, I need this, I've got to have it, I'm missing it. Isn't it amazing how we get amnesia to the junk that we were in to where we want to get back to? What are we craving when a lady gets pregnant? It's amazing how that they have cravings. They're missing something. Ice cream and dilled pickles suck on pottery. Okay. 
Did I ask that question or not? Somebody else, one more. Oh, you couldn't top it, so you just quit. Okay, I understand. See, we kind of laugh about those cravings, and that's just the way it is. But it's not funny when it becomes us as adults and have those cravings. It's once you get through it and you're looking in the rearview mirror and you say, my God, why did I do what I did? I craved that, I wanted that, I desired it, I was missing that. And then what you get it, in no time flat when you get it, you don't know what to do with it. Because you weren't equipped for it. You were not made to handle that. You were made to handle what you have. And let God bring the blessing of God along to you when it's his time. When you try to sidestep that thing and say, I'm going to get that, that's what I miss, I'm going to do it, I don't care who I hurt. The person you're hurting worse than anyone else is yourself. Yeah, it is. It'll eat you alive. Those cravings will get you. Paradise uses reason to get what's missing. The wilderness, it uses complaining to handle what is missing. You complain, 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 complain. I'm missing this. I'm complaining because I don't have it. Really, I don't like to be around people complaining all the time. Do you? Do you kind of look for a door to run into and get away from to get out of their way because you know when they're coming it's going to be gloom, despair, and misery on me? Because they're missing. They're not only missing, they're now miserable. Instead of stepping up to the plate and saying, God, you have placed this in my hand. This is what you have given me. This is what I'm responsible for, and this is what I have. I'll be happy because I don't want to get into a place to where I take hold of stuff that I'm missing, and I lose out. And I tell you, I've met up with a few in the church that, oh, goodness. Is there anything in your life that makes you happy? No, all they want to do is complain. And you ask him, did it get you anywhere? No, it's not going to get you any. You're not going to get any traction with it. None whatsoever. We give no thought to what we have. We only give thought to what is missing. That becomes our obsession. We become obsessed with it. It isn't just women who deal with missing stuff. Oh, I missed that. I want that. I've got to have it. I've seen a few jokers, too, that are guys. I get that new rifle, that new fishing boat. I get this and I get that. Big screen TV, got to have it before football season starts. We're looking at the Philippians because we're going to talk about prison. Really, I want us to realize that in this, you notice there that Paul says, inasmuch as both in my chains and in defense. Paul was in prison when he wrote the Philippian letter to the churches. Paul wanted to be like Jesus. He was so into that that he said, follow me as I follow Christ. I don't have the nerve to say that, but he did. In his whole makeup of life, he wrote that letter, and nowhere in that, and if you do find it, I'll stand and tell the people I was wrong, but nowhere in Philippians do I read that letter where he says, I'm missing anything. I'm going to show you what he says I have in just a minute. But I want to lay this setting before you. Paul in prison shows us how to live on the side of having, not missing. He shows us how to do this and do it right. Paul's prison, hear this, had no TV, it had no nice cots, 
It did not have dental and health plans, and I doubt if they got three square meals a day. Let me tell you what Paul's was like. Paul was in the lowest part of the jail, so they say, and he had friends, rats, that I'm sure would visit him in the night. There was a sewer smell that ran through that prison. Actually, there was a trench, and some believe he was put down so low that that trench of sewer ran down right in front of his feet. And he's writing the Philippian letter. It was cold. Remember what he told Timothy? He says, and when you come to visit me, bring my coat. It was damp, musty smell. They spared no extreme to make it totally miserable. I'd like for these guys in the jails to be sentenced to a prison in Cuba. Go serve some time down there for about a year. You'll come home and kiss the guard. This is the setting where Paul was at. But I want you to see something in chapter 4, looking at it there. Verse number 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. That's what he says to the church of Philippi. But notice verse number 11. Not that I speak in regard to need. Notice, for I have learned. I have. He said, this is what I have. It isn't this is what I miss and oh God help me. No, this is what I have. He held on to what he had. He didn't go missing for things that he didn't have. If you go to verse number 18 of this, he says there in verse 18, indeed, I have all and abound. Notice this. When he says this in verse 18, he raises the bar. He says, I indeed, I have all. Not just I have now. He says, I have all. Can you do that in your wilderness today? Can you do that if you're locked up in prison? Prisons that are holding you captive, are you able to still? What's missing? I want you to hear this. Paradise calls for us to make reason. The wilderness brings us to an area of our lives to complain. But the prison, if I am on the side of having and not missing, comes to me through that area of my life called thanksgiving. You can stay right in that having and not wander over to the side of, I'm missing this, and oh, I've lost out with that. No, what I have, I'm able to hold to it securely. We was at a minister's institute, and my brother was there, and he's pretty sharp. And the preacher was up there. He used the word tenacity. Well, I didn't jump up and say, hey, what do you mean by that? So I didn't until after, and I took my brother, and I said, Irvin, what's tenacity mean? He says, tenacity is when you give a bulldog a bone and he has a mechanism in the back of his jaw. He'll clamp down on with a death bite. He says, you can literally pick that bulldog up by the bone and he'll hang with his legs and everything dangling in the air, but he's not going to let go of that bone. Paul had tenacity of a bulldog. What I have, I want you to know I'm not going to let go of it. 
There is nothing that's going to pass my eye gate or my ears that I'm going to say, oh, I missed that, I want that, no, sir. What I have right before me, I'm going to take. And he was in prison. There was a guy by the name of Jacob in the Old Testament. He felt that he was hoodwinked when he got Leah before he got Rachel. And it says that he loved Rachel more than he did Leah. I want you to hear this. If you're in the wilderness, in the prison and, and all of that wilderness, in order to stay in that place of what I have, God said, okay, Jacob, you're going to play that game. I'm going to close the womb of Rachel up to where she's not going to give you any children. But I am going to bless and multiply the womb of that woman, Leah, because you have pushed her to the side. Let me tell you something. You may be in a situation, in a prison or in a wilderness, when you feel like you're boxed in and you have nowhere, but I want you to know there's the third party. There's the one who can reach in and take hold of situations and readjust those things to where all of a sudden what didn't seem right or fair, all of a sudden God says, that's okay, I'll take care of it. You're in your prison today. You may find yourself in the wilderness. And if you hold on to what you have, God says, I see your faithfulness. I see your intentions. I know that you're not going to go chasing after things you're missing. You're going to stay the mark. You're going to stay on that straight and narrow path. I'll tell you what, God says, I'm going to do this and I'm going to bring this in and I'm going to make it happen for you until this thing is over. Notice this. There is a God in heaven that's still in control. What are you missing today? I preach to myself this morning because I have journeyed in this area of saying, God, I need to learn that I have more than I deserve, not what I am missing. Did you get that? I hope you did. I heard a few yeps. You know those little green signs they put out so the rescue squad can find you coming down your lane right now. What's that MIA mean? Military, what's MIA? Missing in action. Remember when the North Koreans sent many boxes of caskets of remains of those that were in North Korea that they kept and sent over. The joy and the jubilation that was in the families' lives. Why? Because they finally got their loved one back home. They were missing in action. I respect and I have great love for the military people. I like romantic movies. And uh, this one movie had where this woman and her child, she was in church directing the choir, and two military people walked in and said, your husband was killed in the line of duty. She collapsed. And it went through me, and I began to think, we as Americans just think that this freedom that we have, go through this life thinking that what we have as Americans just happened to drop out of the sky. No! There were young men that never came home to their moms and dads or their wives. And they suffer that pain the rest of their lives because they'll never see him until the other side. That little girl in that movie would never have her daddy walk her down the aisle. He was gone. So that Rodney Thomas Mason can enjoy the liberty and the freedom that I have as an American citizen. I can't imagine it. I can't even wrap that in my brain. But I know that Steve and I and Pastor Joe, we know what it is to experience those Christians, those saints that are missing in action. There's no pill that you can take as you realize every moment that that person walked out after you did everything you knew to do. 
And they turned their nose up and said, I found something better. My dad, when he was preaching in Belvoir, Virginia, got a letter in the mail. Young man and family said, hey, we found a church. We've outgrown and matured and developed more from, you know, we're moving on to another church that's going to grow us more. Bye. Broke my dad's heart. Sad. You pray over them. You're there beside with them when their loved one dies. You're there where their kids are hanging in death and life and you're there in all of their situations and all of their junk and and you just stand back and God help them, help them and you turn around, they're gone. He may not cry, I may not cry in front of you but I've been there. You say, why are you saying all of that? We need to pull the curtain back here a little bit. We need to realize that it's real. When you walk out that door and turn your nose up at the church and the people in the church and you feel in yourself justified, you're not justified by it. There's been people that have prayed over you, they have blood, sweat, and tears over you, and you're standing back, I'm leaving, bye, for no apparent reason whatsoever. If you think in your heart that you're showing somebody, yeah, you're showing yourself. And you you think that's all there is to it? No, there's kids behind you that are following by the antics that you pull. It's ridiculous, and that's what I'm saying, missing in action. They're riding down the road, looking at that big church, riding down the road, listening to somebody bore a hole through their ear, telling them a bunch of garbage, and they come up missing because they went after what was missing. Well, that isn't for me. I'm not getting fed. In Virginia, they'd come into the church, and they'd say, what does your church have to offer? What kind of worship do you have? What kind of word do you deliver? Do you have anything that would minister to my children? If you have tender feet, you may want to pull them back. I felt like so much looking at them and saying, okay, this is what we are. Now, what is it that you're going to bring to the table? What is it that you're going to do for the kingdom of God? What do you mean? I knew what the answer would be. Well, that's insulting. How dare you say that to me? Because it's true. It breaks the heart of the pastor. The wives have to stand up under it. They can't help their husbands in that time of grief. It's like someone's died. And they die a thousand deaths. Why? Because this one goes and then somebody else comes in and then this one goes and in all of that, they're missing in action. And you stand there helplessly like someone standing by a graveside. And you can't do a thing about it. But I will tell you this. You won't have that happen to you if you hold on to what you have and quit looking around at what you're missing because you'll be content with what you have. You'll be grateful for what you have. I say this from a heart of love and passion because I have seen so many MIAs in the church and many of them are the young children that are influenced by the parents' action. Somehow, someway, that old buzzard will come back into the church. But those kids, you'll never be able to get them back through the door of the church ever. Because they've made up their mind, if that's what it's all about, I don't want nothing to do with it. When you become missing in action, your kids will become missing in action. You better think long and hard before you start playing games with God. I'm going to close in prayer, and I pray that this will burn in your heart and soul. Don't be MIA. Too much rides on it. If anything, lift up the staff of pastors that's in this place for serving the kingdom of God. Father, we're in an epidemic situation. We have got Christians, I'm not talking even the sinners, we've got Christians chasing after stuff. The enemy is dangling before them. Oh, you're missing out on this, that. Help us to take hold of what we have and help us, God, to use it effectively. 
for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.